When David asked me to speak, it, it fell on something real near dear to my heart. And talking about this country, talking about what's going on right now, you just need to understand something. We're all in this together. And this is, we are one nation under God. That's what our founders had. And a lot of people are going to tell you that our nation was founded in 1619. They're going to tell you all this revisionist history because they don't believe in truth. They believe in absolute truth. Like postmodern truth, not absolute truth. But the Bible is real clear on absolute truth. So I hope you'll open your hearts today because what I'm telling you is based on my background. My background, not just in medicine, but serving this nation for a better part of my life. Um... I've been in the intelligence community for a long time, and I never started talking about it till about four weeks ago, when I realized that our nation is in such extremists that we had to put some type of authority behind what we say. And my authority doesn't come from me. If you look at me, you're going to be sorely disappointed. But Christ in me can do the talking, so I hope you'll listen today. Why is America great? I will tell you, this is the third time in our nation's history when we have been on the cusp of extinction as a republic. First time was in the Revolutionary War. We all know that. It was when we came together, where we were even going to have a republic. The second time was when President Lincoln was elected in that Seminary Ridge, where if the Confederate forces had flanked the Union army, we would have lost the Battle of Gettysburg, and we would have split into two, most likely three different countries. And the third time is in 2020, right now, in your lifetime. You're living in only the third time in our nation's short history. So if you're going to fight, you need to understand what you're fighting for and why you're fighting. I fight. That's the way God wired me. That's the way he developed me. It took me 45 years until I had what Oswald Chambers calls the surgery of events for God to split me in half and tell me who he was, but more importantly, who I wasn't. And this is important. So I want to give you a foundation today. I want you to understand why this country is great. It's not because I say it is, but it's because what the founders did and how they did it. Oswald Chambers says, seeing is never believing. We interpret things in the light of what we believe, not what we see. And what are you seeing today? People say, don't believe your lying eyes, right? Don't believe what you're actually seeing is true. Don't believe. So people are going on based on their beliefs. And if you don't believe in anything, you'll fall for everything. And we're seeing that right now. I mean, back during World War II, this was the big tagline at the top of one of the major papers. For over five years, this man has been chasing around Europe like a madman in search of something he could set on fire. It's right before World War II. Unbelievably, those words were spoken by Adolf Hitler about Winston Churchill. Totally opposite. Because evil tends to project its moral failings on others. And you're seeing that today. So how do you get to truth? I believe history is the ultimate arbiter of truth. And in our nation's history, the true arbiter of truth is my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and what he did for me. And living in me, in my 
personal relationship with him. So you're not going to see me today, but I hope you'll see what he has to say because I hate to use this word. I'm sorry. I suck, but he doesn't. And while we have a great nation, we can only keep it if we understand why it's here. They wrote it in the Declaration of Independence. I'm just going to read a small part of this because it's going to lay the foundation for where we are. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature, and capitalize nature's God, entitle them. A decent respect for the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. The causes that impelled us to the separation were freedom. And our freedom comes from the author of freedom, God. Now, a lot of people looked at Thomas Jefferson and said, when they read this, the law of nature and nature's God, they said, oh, Jefferson's a deist. He's not really talking about God. Well, again, we don't do revisionist history. We go back to the actual history. Because when you look at the actual history, Jefferson studied a gentleman by the name of Lord Bolingbroke in England. Famous writer at that time, a great thinker. And Lord Bolingbroke was credited with that line, laws of nature and nature's God. And so I went back and looked at, well, what did he have to say about it? And it says, according to Lord Bolingbroke, the law of nature's God is the law which is found in God's word. This country was founded on the Bible. That's where your freedoms come from. Freedom was not man's idea. It was God's idea. We're not that smart. Don't kid yourself. And remember, nature and nature's God. We have a working definition of the laws of nature, but remember what God says. Behind the laws, I come. God is in charge. But we have to understand the nature, the nature of man, because the nature of man is born in sin, right? But I'm going to tell you the nature of sin is not immorality, nor is it great morality. That's not what it is. It's not what the Bible tells us. The nature of sin is when we substitute God, we substitute ourselves for God. That's the nature of sin. We become our own God. We decide which lives matter. We become our own God. We decide who lives and dies. We decide the winners and the losers. We become our own God. No, our freedoms come from God. Equality comes from God. If you know the history and the founding, you know what our founders went through, you'll understand that. Do you know our founders put into the Constitution a sundowning clause for the end of slavery? They don't teach it in the schools, but they did. Our founders weren't perfect, but they knew slavery was evil. They put in there that all men are created equal under God. That's why the second time in our nation's history, before the Civil War, you talk about fasting. There's a, um, it's a long story, but in New York, there was a pastor there and got thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of people to pray and fast to end slavery. And a few years later, Abraham Lincoln signs the Emancipation Proclamation. And our country goes down that road. 
I'm not going to go off on this rabbit trail, but understand something. Freedom comes from God. Equality, we are all the same under God. But that comes with a price, and that price is total commitment to the person of Jesus Christ. So, the night when they, they've, they've signed the Declaration of Independence, now we go forward to, we're fighting the British. Now, please put yourself where our founding fathers were. When they signed that declaration, they signed their own death warrant. I mean, we talk about risk aversion today in our politicians. Those guys were willing to pledge what? Their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. And they were willing to lay it all on the line for freedom. Freedom that they understood only came from God, and they did that. And you look at that famous Christmas Eve when Washington was crossing the Delaware. It's written in his letters and in Benjamin Rush, who I kind of like to identify with because he was a surgeon back in the Continental Army. He was also Washington's prayer partner. And he and Washington were talking, and it said, he told Benjamin Rush and his lieutenants, he said, only put centuries out tonight that are American. What did he mean by that? Well, his army had already dwindled down from 7,500 at its height down to 2,400, mostly conscripts. So he had a bad shape army to begin with. But he told Benjamin Rush, only put Americans on duty tonight, the night before their biggest battle ever. Because Washington, in his notes, wrote, America is an ideal. It is spiritual. And he only wanted people that believed that freedom came from God, that had that spiritual belief in that freedom and what they were fighting for on guard on that cold night. The next day, Washington crossed the Delaware. You know the story, but do you know the real story? They were planning to cross earlier. Didn't work out. The river was, was frozen. Most of these guys didn't have shoes. Their feet were bleeding. He finally crossed in the middle of the day. The Hessians were a much superior force, better equipped, better shaped, part of the British Army. These guys were professional mercenaries. They were basically the Goliaths. The Patriots cro crossed and defeated them without one patriot being killed in that battle. One colonist. And you think about that. Does that sound like something you'd see in the Old Testament maybe? Where you take on a superior force with nothing? Because God doesn't share his glory with anybody. Washington knew it and he wrote about it. And so after that, they won. They, that was one of the leading battles. And they went on to win their independence. But guess what they had to do then? And this is important. They had to form a, a nation. And I hope you pay attention when I'm getting ready to read you because this is the whole reason we are here right now and have the opportunity to keep the greatest nation in the world. And I will tell you that's only by God's grace because we've done nothing to deserve it lately. So what happened is after they won the Revolutionary War, that was just the beginning, not the end. These guys pledged everything to have the opportunity to build a nation. I mean, we get frustrated when we have to build a house. I mean, we get frustrated when we have to build a business. They had to build a country. So what they did is they all got together in Constitutional Hall, and I can see this. It was hot. It was the summer. They're all in Pennsylvania and Philadelphia in Constitutional Hall, and these men are trying to hammer out what would become the United States of America. And they had a lot of problems because there were 13 colonies, but they were split people-wise into three and ten. 
The three in the north had 50% of the population, and the 10 in the south did. But the 10 in the south, you know, they had their commerce with slavery. That was one of the problems, but they knew they had to bring everyone together to form a more perfect union. So in the middle of it, after five and a half weeks, they had failed epically. People were ticked. They were leaving. Washington had to beg his neighbor not to leave. And they're trying to get things done, and they're in the middle of flailing epically when a little old man by the name of Benjamin Franklin stood up. Now, Ben Franklin was old. He's always been old. Everything I see about him, he looks like he's 1,000 years old. You know, every picture. You never see young Ben Franklin, you know, which is probably, guys, he's probably in heaven going, that's not cool. But, you know, so you never see young, dashing Ben. It's always old Ben. But this is like really old Ben. Few teeth, gout, trouble standing. He stands up, and this is from the archives, National Archives. This is what he said after, four and a, after five and a half weeks. He says, the small progress we have made after these five weeks, close attendance and continual reasonings with each other, our different sentiments on almost every question, several of the last, producing as many no's as as many yeses, is methinks a melancholy proof of the imperfection of human understanding. We need indeed seem to feel our own want of political wisdom. Since we have been running about in search of it, we have gone back to ancient history for models of government and examined the different forms of those republics which have been formed with the seeds of their own dissolution now no longer exist. What he's saying is we're trying to figure out how to do this, and we're looking back at all these governments, but they're no longer here, and they all committed suicide. So we're trying to figure this out. And he said, and we have viewed modern states all around Europe, but find none of their constitutions suitable to our circumstances. These are our founders. They've looked all over Europe. Seems like we're trying to look at Europe today for guidance. I, I don't understand that. But they looked all over Europe, and they couldn't find any government that worked for them. And this situation, Franklin goes on, of this assembly groping, I love the way he talks, as it were in the dark to find political truth and scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us. How has it happened, sir, that we have not hereto here once thought of humbly applying to the Father of lights to illuminate our understandings? In the beginning of this contest with Great Britain, we were sensible of the danger and we had daily prayer in this room for divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. All of us who engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of this capitalized superintending providence, that's the hand of God, in our favor. To that kind providence, we owe this happy opportunity of consulting in peace on the means of establishing our future national Felicity, which is just building their country. And have we not now forgotten that powerful friend? Or do we imagine we no longer need his assistance? Franklin went on, and remember, he's the oldest person in the room and the most respected. I have lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. 
And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings. Remember, nature's law, God's word. Law of nature's God, God's word. In the sacred writings, that except the Lord build, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this. And I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. We shall be divided by our little partial local interests. Our projects will be confounded and we ourselves shall be become a reproach and a byword down to future age. And what is worse, mankind may hereto-after, from this unfortunate instance, despair of establishing governments by human wisdom and leave it to chance, war, or conquest. And he ended with this. He said, I therefore beg to leave to move. They always like to use a lot of words to get to where they're going. <laughs> that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning. So what they did, history shows us is they left and went for three days of prayer and fasting and came back. When they came back, they formed the bicameral legislature and the greatest government this world has ever seen. It produced a constitution and a republic that has lasted 243 years. Let me explain that to you. The nearest, closest constitution in the world is 16 years. Ours is 243, you're running. So how is it that in one of the youngest countries in the world, because we're young, if you go to Europe, you know, we go to, I mean, I was over there with my wife, and we're going to castles, and they're like, you know, a thousand years old, and we're here, and we see something from 1960, and we're like, dang, that's old, you know? I mean, <laughs> we don't have ancient history here, but we have the longest standing government. What has that government given us, and what does it mean? Well, see, the government is based on God, God's word, and it gives us freedom. God's idea, not man's. So how did they get there? Washington said in his farewell address, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political, political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. In vain that a man would claim tribute to patriotism who should labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness. These firmest props of duties of men and citizens Reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principles or God's word. That's how we got here. And what did that give us? What did this morality give us? Now, this Washington said a lot. Franklin said laws without morals are in vain. So they gave us a great example our founders did what did that produce i can tell you what it produced i work overseas i was in iraq syria afghanistan pakistan it's hot over there and for the longest time they lived in tents in the desert but guess what they don't do that anymore why because an american with the last name of carrier developed the air conditioner i had a flat in dubai and they have these beautiful skyscrapers in the middle of the desert how do they have those because an American by the name of Otis invented the elevator. 
And here in the harbor in Corpus Christi, there's a ship that's going to exit. And he's going to be on a GPS system invented in America, attached to a satellite invented in America, on an internet invented in America, not by Al Gore. <laughs> um, the automobile, the airplane, electricity were, de- were developed because you have freedom in this nation. You didn't have tyranny. They saw what tyranny did. It suicided nations. But they had freedom. And the founders figured out when an old man stood up with not too many teeth and said, did we forget who got us here in the first place? And so I would ask you right now, have we forgotten who got us here in the first place? Because as a nation, it seems we are. People are like, well, I don't want to get in politics. You know, I don't do that. I mean, it's just picking between the lesser of two evils. Hey, guys. Unless Jesus Christ is on the ballot, you're always picking between the lesser of two evils. I am very familiar with our president. I know his son, and I know a lot about him, and I can tell you one thing. God has touched his life. God doesn't use perfect people to accomplish his glory. He doesn't share it like that. God uses the most unlikely, the weak, so he is strong, and he does it. And it all comes from authority. In our nation right now, it's all based on authority, and we have lost that. We've lost it as a citizenry because we are trying to spread it out and give everyone authority for something that's not there. And for authority to be worthy, it arises out of a nature of a superior moral integrity and not simply from one who happens to be higher up on the scale than someone else. I worked in Afghanistan and Pakistan, and recently... A few years ago, I worked to help our president when we noticed that people in the intelligence community were working against him. And I was called into a conference room with some pretty big people, and they had someone in there, and he looked at me, and he said, "Um, I need to vet you. And they brought in a guy who was a chief of station in one of the countries I worked in for the the agency. And he looked at me, and he goes, well, what countries have, uh, you know, this country you're working in, what cities did you go to? How did you drive around? I told him I went here, 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 here. He goes, how'd you do that? How many times were you stopped? I said, I was never stopped. And he couldn't understand that. You see, because his authority came from someone higher up in him, so he had to stay locked in the embassy. My authority came from the people I worked with. He didn't know who had authority. I came, my authority came from the local moral authority, the elders in these areas. And it was through their authority I could travel untouched. If they said I was okay, I was okay. We have the ultimate authority. We travel untouched. And the only reality in this life is a moral reality. It's not intellectual, and as a plastic surgeon, I can tell you it's not aesthetic. And religion based on intellectualism becomes purely creedal. And we see that a lot in churches today. We based our religion on an intellectualism or on a modified TED talk that has a lot of Christian principles and does an invitation to the altar in the end. And that's all great, but that's the beginning. That's not the end. And if you don't have that personal relationship to Christ and he doesn't split you in half like he did me, and I pray it doesn't happen like it happened to me, you'll never know what God wants you to do. And you'll never keep the gift that you were given by our founding fathers. Because we can only state scientific laws as much as we discover them. I mean, you see it with the coronavirus right now. We know or we don't know what we don't know. 
And, and we're outside our domain if we think we do. Because once we get outside scientific laws, that's where God's laws start. God's laws start. And when we get to our wits in, that's when his wisdom begins. That's how we've discovered all these great things. But we did it as a free society. And we are slowly, incrementally moving our society and our country back towards a less free society. Galatians 5, 1. Told you, freedom is God's idea. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Yoke of slavery. Does that have any parallels in our great world's history? Communism, slavery, socialism. Something that doesn't take a lot of work that's killed over 100 million people. Freedom comes from God. It's not easy, but if you work at it, it gives you freedom. We all created equal. We all have equal opportunity. It's up to God's grace and your hard work if you're going to get past that. And you're not doing anyone favors by giving them something. So how do we keep it? One, we have to realize that to keep America great, we don't bind ourselves to principles. We bind ourselves to a person. The person, Jesus Christ. Christ lives in me. I have to have that personal relationship with God. I'll just tell you, I suck at religion. And can I say that word in church? Okay. Uh, <laughs> I did. And, but I have a personal relationship with God that was born out of a lot of pain and me not paying attention. And I had no excuse because I was raised in a family where my parents prayed over me every day. So it took them 45 years for me to wake up. But parents, don't stop praying over your kids. And when we understand this, when we understand that God is the only key to life and we have that faith in God, then we can knock out that intellectual conception of God and get into that personal relationship with him. And then we can keep our freedoms because we can listen to God. We can listen to his wisdom like our founding fathers did. Now, these weren't perfect people. And if you find one, that'd be great. Let's capture him and study him because I haven't seen a perfect person yet. But they were people that were committed to God's word. And we're inclined to think that everything that happens to us is going to be used for teaching. But in actual fact, it's to be turned into something else. Character. Character is achieved when truth and consequences go hand in hand. That's how we build character as believers. Those are the laws of nature. But listen to this. When we get into a man-made character change, nature is replaced with nurture. And the laws of nature and nature's God become corrupted. We don't help people keeping them from consequences. You don't help your kid by giving them what they want. God doesn't help us by keeping us from consequences. He does that because he's a loving dad. And we don't help our fellow citizens by protecting them from themselves and not allowing them to experience life, have consequences, and seek the only person that can solve their problems. Because I can tell you, government can't. And God doesn't make us holy in the sense that we are holy. He makes us, 
He makes our character holy. He makes us holy in the sense that we are now innocent before him because Christ is in me. So as Christ manifests, he's holy. God doesn't see Keith, he sees Christ. Because if he saw me, I wouldn't be here. And these choices that we make, they're always in contrast to our natural life. And our natural life is hostile to him. And right now, people are saying, what, if it feels good, do it. I have a right because I've been wronged. And when that comes, when, they, when those choices raise up against our barriers, it raises up against the knowledge of the kingdom of God. And then all of a sudden, people aren't looking for the kingdom of God. They're looking to check off a box on Sunday morning. I went there. I felt good. I left. But did it change me? Am I a light? Does his glory shine through me? Or do I just kind of walk around and go, my church? So we can either turn back at that point and make ourselves no value for God or we can determinedly demolish those things in our life and bring another son to glory. You got to die to yourself. Our founders knew this because God created man to be master of life on this earth, read Genesis. He wanted us to be masters of the earth, the sea, and the sky. And the reason we're not is because we took the law into our own hands. And we, man became master of himself, but nothing else. And when you're your own master, life doesn't go that well. So the only key to life is God. And my faith, and this is important because I've been thinking about this, is in God not in what he's done for me. I don't want to live on my experiences, but I want to walk in his continual light and allow him to work through me. I couldn't tell you what I said last hour because if you're going to let God use you, you get to be Mr. Microphone. You may or may not remember it. But then if you were hearing me, no one would be here. David would be like locking me out of the church. So. But, you know, we have a lot of people out there and they're, and they're defending the faith. But a lot of times we defend the faith and then we get bitter until we learn to walk in the light of the Lord. You see, when God takes over our life, I don't get bitter. Because you can attack me, I can show you love. Not me, Christ in me. Because I'm not a nice person. When I got called, it was usually to go find someone one way or another. But Christ in me that's the key. And I just have to tell you, there's nothing rational about Christ. Truth is moral. It's not intellectual. Truth is by doing the right thing, not thinking it out. Because when you do that and coming into this election season, you have a conscience. And the Holy Spirit, if he's working in you, he's going to move you. He's going to move you to truth. Truth is not a logical statement or creed, but life and personality of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's God working through you. And that comes from faith, obedience, and like the founders said, God's word. That's how he talks to us. Talks to us. I love it in John 21, 17. He asked Peter, do you love me? And, you know, Peter's like, yeah, God, I love you. And then God said, if you love me, feed my sheep. And I think what he meant in that, in effect, he said, identify yourself with my interests 
in other people. Not with me, not with me, your interest in them. So I can go, hey, we're both Christians. Let me tell you about myself. God says, feed my sheep. In this election season, are we feeding? Are we identifying ourselves in other people with God? Are we identifying God's interest in other people? So this guy may come up and he may say, you know, I'm a radical liberal and I, you know, I believe this, this, and this. Okay, what's God's interest in him? God calls me to love him sacrificially. But he also calls me to speak truth and not back down. But you can speak truth in love. He may not receive it. And then you get into what Thomas Sewell says. And I don't know if you guys have read the great Thomas Sewell. It's one of my favorites. He says, we can be certain from history that human beings have been wrong innumerable times, have been wrong by vast amounts with catastrophic results. Yet today, there are still people who think that anyone who disagrees with them must be either bad or not know what he is talking about. Oswald Chambers calls that invincible ignorance. Voltaire said in 1765, those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. And that's where we are today. So how do we get back to the greatest country in the world based on freedom, based on God's word? We get back by a personal relationship in Christ. And how will people know that? Because Christianity doesn't consist of telling the truth or walking in a conscientious way. I'm with Jesus. I'm with Jesus. Or adhering to principles. Christianity is a lot more than that. It's adhering to the absolute surrender to Jesus Christ. The good news is you stop, he starts. That's when it gets fun. That's how you keep your country. And if you don't, God will get you to that point. He calls them the events of surgery. Um, where he kind of operates on us with events. Because God isn't an abstract truth. He's an eternal reality. And you only understand that eternal reality by a personal relationship with him. And if you read the letters of our founding fathers, they had that personal relationship with God. They weren't perfect but they had the eternal reality and that's why you live in the greatest republic in the world and when the events of the events of the day operate on us and cut us up it's painful but if the scourge of the eternal reality comes let me encourage you something it's going to do one of two things with me it happened in 2008 it's either going to bring you face to face with God or face to face with yourself so how do you know the difference? I go to 2 Corinthians 2.14. And it says, now I'm going to read this out of my own Bible here. This is a Bible. You guys, it's pretty, you know. And, and when I was looking at this the other day, I read my Bible a lot. I, I hadn't done this. And I turned to the front and I see what my father wrote to me when I was 17 years old. It says, Mother and I treasure you and are delighted you are growing as a man of God. I must have been doing something right then. <laughs> the study Bible is our favorite. The notes are great. And then my dad wrote, My son and brother. He was teaching me to be a son as a father. In the Savior, my son and brother in the Savior, be in his word. He didn't tell me to do good, he didn't tell me to live a moral life. He just said, be in his word. 
It took 45 years. But let me tell you, don't stop praying for your kids. Because if my mom's watching this, she's like, that's fanning her going, no, it's really your son, I promise, you know. But it's, but God has a great sense of humor. So if you go to 2 Corinthians, and I'm going to tie all this together, it says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through the sweet aroma of knowledge of him in every place, every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, an aroma from death to death, but to other, an aroma from life to life. Now, when God says that, I'm a voracious reader, if anyone knows me. And I've been to the Middle East by God's grace, not just working, but with my father several times. My father's an Old Testament scholar, and he got me reading Josephus. Josephus is a historian. He's a Hebrew historian during the time of Christ. And a triumphant, what he talks about with Paul's there, we think triumphant, it's either a motorcycle or we're winning. You know, no, a triumph, triumph, I guess that was the old motorcycle. I'm dating myself now. Is it's, it's a process. It's a procession for a general. And back then it was the general Titus, Titas. That's my dad pronounced it because he speaks Greek and Hebrew. I don't. Um, and what they did is, the general, if the generals were successful and they took a lot of land, they scored a lot of victories, they had a lot of treasure that they presented to Caesar, if they got a lot of prisoners, then they would be given a triumphant, a triumphal. And what that meant was it was a huge parade. Now think about this. This general, the only few got him, and the guys got him, it was amazing. Rome at its very height. They had this massive parade coming down, and Titus, who was a son of Vesivian, he got the baton, which that was a triumphant. They got this baton at the end of this victorial procession. So he's there, and in the first part of the procession, and this is important because I want you to know what Paul was saying, were the priests, and they were burning incense. And this incense made everything smell really good. So it was a sweet aroma for the victorious. The second group, though, were the prisoners that he captured. They were either going to be sold into slavery or killed. And while the smell of the incense was life upon life for some, for those prisoners that were going to be killed, it was death. The third group after the prisoners was his Roman legions. I believe Titus had four. Then came the chariots where the victorious Roman general was riding in it. And, and at last, his family was behind him. But when, if you read what Josephus says, Titus is riding in this chariot. He has a slave behind him, and all the generals did during this triumphant. And the slave was there for one reason. He would follow the general all the way in the chariot to the steps of the palace, up the steps to get the baton from Caesar, the emperor. And Titus ultimately became emperor. And the guy, the slave would follow him and go, glory is fading. Glory is fading. Glory is fading. It was to bring them back to understand that things on this earth, even your greatest conquest, glory is fading. But Paul uses this and he compares us to traveling in the triumphant. Christ is the great general and the glory never fades with him. We are his priests. We are his soldiers. And I work with a bunch of warrior monks, so I can tell you, that makes me feel better. 
And it says, as we go through the world, we give off an incense. Accept Christ into your life. You get that incense, that sweet aroma of life. You reject that and you have death unto death. And our general fights through us, not beside us, not in front of us, through us. And the only way he can do that is if we let him. So if I'm in that personal relationship with Christ, he's fighting through me. Because the Spirit of God witnesses to the redemption of our Lord and nothing else. What Christ did for us. He cannot witness the Spirit. The Holy Spirit can't witness to our reason because we're men. We're fallible. And we're inclined to make the mistake, the simplicity that comes from our natural common sense decisions for the witness of the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit must have really moved me there. I know when the Holy Spirit's moving because it's not my idea. Because if I can think of it and I didn't need God, it's not the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit witnesses only to what? His own nature. Not my human nature, but Christ in me. So hang tight. You got the Holy Spirit witnessing to Christ in me. And that is through the work of redemption, not my reason. So if we're trying to make God a witness to our reason, like we seem to be doing in this political season, and getting away from the law of nature's God, then we're going to fail, and we're going to fail bad. And that's why we have darkness and uncertainty right now, because we're allowing it to witness to our reason. And we need to throw it all overboard and trust God and let him witness to, let the Holy Spirit witness to Christ in us. So that people, when they see you, will smell that aroma. They'll see that glory. They'll want to be around you. And there's no condition that we can't abide in Jesus. Wherever he puts you, work. It doesn't matter where you are. God did not design us for the mountaintops. He designed us for the street. The day-to-day. We do great in the valley and we do great in the mountain. How do we do just walking down the street? I mean, remorse... Sometimes we do something, we say, I've got remorse. That's when I choose. I have remorse. Christ, the Holy Spirit working through me, calls me to repentance. Repentance doesn't mean I feel bad. It means I turn away from it and walk away. When I do that, more aroma, more people come to God. If you look, and I'm going to wind it down here in 2 Corinthians 3, when you're talking about the glory and the glory fading, it's very important They talked about glory fading at the end of Patton. I don't know if you guys saw that movie. Patton talks about glory fading. This is what he's talking about. See, glory in this world fades. It doesn't matter what happens in this world ultimately unless you're following Christ because you're going to not be happy. Our founders knew that. That's why they based freedom coming from Christ. That's why Reagan talks about it. talks about in the Bible, we're a light on the hill for all the world to see. That light is Christ in us, his glory shining, drawing in everyone. That's why America takes in a million people a year, more than every other country in the world combined. A million people a year immigrate here. Why? Why did they get on rafts made with tires and sticks and go over shark-infested waters to come here? They come here for freedom. Where does that freedom come from? Christ. Who? You know what we do in this country? We export freedom. And we're the only ones. We're the only country that goes, fights in a world war, and leaves and asks for nothing more than the land to bury our dead on. We don't take booty for our glory. We don't take 
slaves. They're slave markets right now. I can tell you. I've seen them. We don't do that. We don't ask for anything. So why are we apologizing for everything? I don't apologize for my country, not because my country's great, because it was founded on biblical principles. God is great. I don't apologize for him. And he certainly doesn't need me to make excuses for him. So when as a nation are we going to stand up and say, you're God? Well, I can tell you our president's doing it. The first president to ever go and march in the right to life. The first president not to talk about it, but to move our embassy to Jerusalem. The first president to get on a microphone and say, life matters. Not it's political. I know more than I can talk about, but I can tell you I've never seen the headwinds that this president has faced. And only, trust me, the hand of God gets you through that. It's not his great personality, although he's a strong man. (laughs) But he's a man that has realized that he's a man and God is God. I believe that. So just remember, in, that, in 2 Corinthians 3, it talks about, Paul's talking to him again, and he says, the Corinthians, he says, and I like this, I'm sorry. For indeed, what had glory in this case, no glory, because of the glory that surpasses it. He's talking about the world versus God. For if that which fades away was with glory, how much more than that which has glory remains? And so what he's saying is, therefore... Having such a hope, we use great boldness of speech. We have boldness of speech, not because of our personality, but because of the person in me. And are not like Moses, who had to put a veil over his face, because Moses had the law of nature. God gave him the Ten Commandments on stone. He brought them to the Hebrews. He had a veil, because the glory from being around God faded, and he didn't want them to see it. But when Christ came, God sent his son and came, we all with unveiled face beholding the mirror of the glory. This is what Paul says in verse 18 of the Lord and being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord to the spirit. You're like the energizer, man. You shine all the time. You're better than the clapper. And your reason you're doing that is because you have his glory. And the only time we don't see his glory is when we get in front of it. (laughs) Alexander de Tocqueville, one of my favorite people in the world, says when the past no longer illuminates the future, the spirit walks in darkness. And that's what we're dealing with. Paul goes on to talk about a lot of things, but at the end he says, We don't have to pray this to show that our teaching is great, but that you will keep on doing what is right, even if it looks as what we have done is much wrong. We cannot work against the truth of God. We can only work for it. God gives us, folks, when we don't deserve it. And we don't have entitlements. We have an inheritance. Don't forget that. So right now, a dear friend of mine, Bill Scroggins, said, we're at a point in history where we're not in an election, we're in a selection. We're going to decide whether we want to be free or not. And I love Psalm 32, 9. He says, be ye not as a horse or mule which have no understanding. For what a creature chooses instead of God is done by sensuality and not by reason. And whoso chooses a creature instead of God is not a rational man but a beast. Because a horse and a mule are controlled by a bridle. 
And the government right now wants to make the bridle bigger because we're a bunch of horses and mules. Reason always strives for a true expression. And the soul is spirit expressing itself rationally. And whenever the work of God is done in a man's soul, the apostle Paul says, is stated, it does not contradict the rational element. When you're rational with the soul, with the spirit of God, it transcends it. So when a man is born again, your personality is dead to this world. But the source of inspiration comes from God. The snare is this. We tend to like to make our reason not spiritual, but work in the circle of our understanding and our experiences. We always say, this is my experience. And I'm a big person on history and experience. But as long as we use the image of our experience and our feelings to answer our prayers, we can't understand what the Apostle Paul meant. I live no longer, but Christ in me. I don't have to understand it. He'll show it to me. I may not have the experience. I'm sure the guys that invented all those great things, they didn't understand the airplane because it hadn't been built yet. But something moved in them. So we have to get beyond reason and experience to the knowledge that God is life alone. And that's what our founders did. Because thinking is a big labor, so we have to take capture every thought. And big government doesn't want us to think. They want us to live centrally, and they'll do the thinking for us. So this season, we do have a choice. John three seventeen says, For God did not send his son into the world to say it is guilty. He sent his son so the world might be saved from the punishment of sin. This nation is a light. It's the only nation that is founded on biblical principles. Period. Full stop. That's history. Not revisionist history. And when the son of man comes again, is he going to find faith on this earth? Because we all have faith in good principles, in good management, in common sense. But who among us has faith in Jesus Christ? Principles aren't the answer. Personal is. Physical courage is great. Moral courage is greater. But a man who trusts in Jesus Christ in the face of everything is the greatest hero. That's how we're going to save our nation. So you have a choice to make in a week or so. You're going to go out, you're going to pull a lever, you may have already done it. But you need to know that you're selecting something. As Reagan said, you know, we're one generation away. Freedom is only one generation away. It's not one generation away because of just the time. It's one generation away because as parents and citizens, if we don't pass down our biblical principles to the next generation, we'll become extinct. Our founders knew it. And I pray that, you know, we remain one nation under God. Do some questions. say a couple things uh, real quick because we're, we're about out of time. Okay, that's cool. Just hang on. Oh. Can I ask you one question? Sure. You know, one of the most misunderstood things that I hear from people is the understanding of separation of church and state. Mm-hmm. Why don't you briefly talk about that? Okay. In, in short. <laughs> Bottom line is 
the, the basis of our founding documents the, are we the people. And we're under God. The separation of church and state was strictly to keep government from infringing on our ability to meet and congregate. And the sad thing right now is a dear friend of mine, Pastor Rob McCoy, he's meeting with his church right now in California, not North Korea, not another place in the world, just California. And he is under penalty of imprisonment, fine. Him and some other pastors, Jack Hibbets and a few others, they're meeting, they're having church in California, in the United States of America, and they're being persecuted in this nation by the government. You think elections don't matter? You have lockdowns where the cause, we, we basically cured cancer by killing the patient. That's not a cure. You have an increase in suicides, increase in overdoses, domestic violence. You're, you're keeping kids home with their abuser. And there is no scientific or medical reason to do that, period, full stop. And I can back that up. But you voted. It's just a local election. I voted for that county judge. I voted for that city councilman. Hold them accountable. You're accountable to pass down your principles. And you can't do it by going, well, they're a nice person. They got a good sign. They look good. No. Because our, our city's suffering right now. And they're suffering because we didn't do our job. The church has failed. And I'm sorry, I'm going to say it. The church on the whole has failed. Not individuals. Christ doesn't fail. We failed. So we have to let Christ work through us. And that gives you what? Courage of your convictions. To speak boldly, as the word says. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time in history. And Lord, we just know that you are God. You're the same today. You were the same yesterday and you'll be the same tomorrow because you and you alone are God. You're the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end. And we thank you for this nation. We thank you for the responsibility you've given us to keep it. Not to keep it in our image, but to keep it based on your principles. Based on our personal relationship with your son who redeemed all of us because we are all just born in the mud, Lord. But by your grace, we have been saved for your glory that will shine for us today, tomorrow, and for eternity. And I pray this nation stays hidden in Christ, radiating your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.